it's that time again friday to be precise and we are excited to bring you another ceo in our meet the ceo series benjamin rokanje of boundless minds joins us to discuss reading this and the next generation for leadership the world of work and entrepreneurship we will also be looking at cape verde's economy advancing and angola's policy rate decision good morning africa and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in africa i am with adong for more follow us on twitter at the k financial Boundless Minds is out to shape the future through mentorship for employment, entrepreneurship, and leadership. Today, we talk to CEO and founder Benjamin Rukenje on the work Boundless does and also talk about reforms and the effect they can have on learning as we know it. Who is Benjamin Rukenje? First of all, I am um, a firstborn. I write I hike, I am a wannabe long-distance runner. I like personal development I am, and I am invested in that a lot. I, I love um, chilling. What does Boundless Minds do? Mentorship and soft skilling to prepare young people for the world of work because, you know, uh, our schools are not preparing young people for work. When they come out, they can't go into entrepreneurship there because they are not trained for it. Um, they can't get into jobs because they are not ready. They are not job ready, essentially. So what we do is prepare young people to manage that transition. And how we do it is we skill them uh, in terms of you know skills such as critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, communication. The, the sorts of of um, intellectual skill that they need on top of whatever it is that they've learned, but also find them mentors um, to be able to help them with this learning process and transition. What inspired you to start your journey with Boundless Minds? So I always say that there was no, like many people have this um, eureka moment uh, for why they start or, you know, something clicks and they start. Or others have um, some sort of inspiration from, from how they were brought up and how they were raised. My entrepreneurship journey doesn't have that. Mine was you know, a compilation of, of life experiences, um, meeting people, doing a lot of volunteer work, interacting with young people, interacting especially with education, both from a research point of view, but also from a practical, you know, we were doing a lot of volunteer work at the time with the 4040 uh, going into slums uh, to teach, to work with children to try and give them a different experience from what they were getting with their teachers. And imagining myself in that sort of showed me how important education was, especially for the most poor or the poorest uh, in our communities, but also what it can do, right, if, if it's done right. But also I had these conversations. I, I had a conversation with a friend who also told me, about her experiences traveling the world and, and volunteering, even when she was young. And that started getting me to think about my own experience as a young person who had, um, at the time, I think only been out of this country once. So when I compared myself with her, I realized that our life experiences, my experience of life and the uh, people was going to be far removed from hers because she around the world she knew all of these people she 
had all of this work experience, she had all of this worldly knowledge that I didn't have, and yet we were the same age. So I started to think, okay, if you're trying to get ahead, if you're trying to change your community, if you're trying to build a business, if you're trying to get ahead in your career, starting early is important, right? And early exposure is perhaps the best thing that could happen to you. But looking at myself, I didn't have any exposure. I had never worked anywhere um, at the time because uh, I was still a student waiting to finish school and then go find work. So I thought, no, there's got to be um, ways in which we encourage young people to start early and build opportunities and, 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 and platforms for them to experiment with um, their ideas, with their dreams, and then learn and make those mistakes while they are still young. So that gave birth to boundless. What have been some of your biggest milestones? It's interesting. So we're celebrating five years. First of all, I would say starting. Like starting was a major, major milestone when we started in 2017. I had registered Boundless in 2015, but I'd never had the courage to start. Uh, it took me two years to um, start. Uh, and I can't quite explain why it took two years, but it's probably fear, not knowing when to start, where to start, and all of that. So starting in 2017 was you know, a major, major milestone. The second was getting selected for the Tony Elumelu Entrepreneurship Program, still in 2017, because that was a validation of the work and the idea. Because we actually got selected, I think, the week, no, the, a month after I had started Boundless. So we were still really in idea phase. I didn't, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. Uh, so getting selected was validation that, you know, there's, there's something here. If these guys are seeing something, then that's worth continuing to define and pursue. The other milestone would be when we started, we were doing mentorship and we were doing physical trainings and sessions and stuff uh, for like three years. So in, in essence, we were learning the same way everyone learns. And uh, the challenge with that is that you can't scale it. There's a reason why, you know, you can't scale education or education models that currently exist. And that's part of the problem with education, right? And that's also the challenge. So the only people you can impact are the ones who can fit in that room at that time, right? And who can access it. We decided to move online before COVID happened. Because we had realized, you know, this thing, if we're going to scale, we need to just take standardize our material and move it online. And you'd seen people that all of these large online courses, you know, programs, Udemy and who are, they were doing it from the US and people were able to study and get certified from here. So we moved our stuff online and that has blown um, everything that, 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 that we've ever thought we were capable of, right? We moved from I think 200 people in three years to 1,500 in well, one year, I feel like 2020 we tested. So 2021, essentially, in one year, we were like, I think that that move to say, oh, no, we're going to redefine how learning is done. 
and then just do that. So now you have mentors that are here in Uganda, but some in the US, UK, Turkey, uh, Germany. We have mentees who are in Sudan, I think Tanzania and Congo. And, and that's not something that you could have done. So I think that in terms of milestones, that's, that's, that's another meta one. And of course, I think for entrepreneurs raising money, um, funding to be able to run uh, the organization to meet your goals and vision is, is important. So to be able to get um, not big grants per se, but grants that keep us running, right, um, has been you know major milestone. Being able to build our systems to attract foundations like you know the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, Seco Family Foundation, you know, Stand Big Bank, people like that. Those are milestones that that. I think for us are amazing. What are some of your challenges and how are they interlinked with education reform? When you think about education reform, you also have to understand what are we reforming and why. And this system as it is, the formal formal education as it is, it's alien to Africa, right? But it's also alien to our times. So it's, it's, it's a... It's, it's colonial education, if you like, right? So that's, that's the best way to put it. So this process is also about decolonizing education, right? Or decolonizing learning. And this is why the, 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 the guys who introduced this formal education um, introduced it because it had to serve a purpose, right? And that purpose was that they needed low-level clerical staff that could do could execute tasks in the exact way that they were given, right? So you weren't required to ask questions, you were. Then too, the, those guys um, assumed that the teacher is a custodian of knowledge, that the student knows nothing, and they come with an empty head that's going to be filled by the teacher. Three, that uh, you needed to be tested, right? in an exam for memory because they, they needed to be sure that you will remember the things you've been told in the same exact way. Your exams don't ask you to think. Even when they say evaluate, there's a method that they want that you have to follow. But that was serving that purpose because they needed to produce people who could do exactly what the master wanted. But if you think about that world, um, which is about a hundred years ago and today, that world is not the same anymore. Things have changed for everyone, for all of us, and yet we still learn the same way, right? We still go to the classrooms, which are still teach the same way, we still do exams in the same way, which are still the custodian of knowledge, we still use language that's foreign, we still use uh, examples uh, and, and contexts that are foreign. So that's what that's the context in which education reform sits, right? So if you're trying to reform education, that's the what are you reforming and why? Soft skills, right? So if you think about skilling, even, and by the way, this is, a, it's not just, it's just this entire continent. Many of our governments, when they talk about skills, governments and policymakers, when they talk about skills, they mean the technical skill. You know, we need to train our people to be plumbers, to be, welders, to be electricians, to be um, tailors, that's, that's the skill that they talk about, which is incredible. 
right? Because um, that technical skill has a higher rate in terms of, of, of uh, creating, you know, jobs, quality, um, notwithstanding, uh, for 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 our people. You see, the the skill you need is the intellectual skill on top of that, or even more important, the intellectual skill. So you need people who can think, people who can solve problems, and create opportunities out of them. You need people who can communicate well. You need people who can sell. You need people who can pitch. You need people who know how to deal with people, right? Uh, so emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, people who can negotiate, right? And those skills are the skills we are not teaching. Yet those skills are what's important for anyone that's trying to succeed as a professional or as an entrepreneur. So that's how education must be done. What is what, 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 what the, the challenge that we faced? It's not even with government or whatever. It's 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 with getting everybody to understand the importance of that that these that these skills can actually be taught. That timekeeping is a skill that it can be taught. That being organized is a skill. And it's an important skill and that it can be taught. So that's why we have mentors who, you have an accountant who's mentoring it, a young person who is in medical school. Because they're not teaching them how to count money, no. Teaching them how to be an excellent professional, how to be a good colleague at work, how to be productive employee, how to be a um, good manager. Right, and those, there's nothing technical about that. It's, 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 it's a skill of the mind. So that's so that the, that, that the appreciation, the appreciation of these skills is is still not there. What are some of the changes you would like to see in your industry? I think at policy level, it would be very helpful if our teachers were trained differently. Yeah, it would be very very helpful if our teachers were trained um, to think differently to apply them selves differently. It would also, of course, help if schools um, and school administrators didn't approach the, la- the process of learning as if it were an exam, as if they were preparing for an exam and that if kids don't pass, heaven is going to fall down. So, of course, the most radical thing uh, proposal I would have is just ban national exams, uh, like uh, just do away with national exams. That's not going to happen. Uh, Obviously, but I think we can work around um, training of our teachers, reskilling and upskilling of our teachers to incorporate, you know, these these ideas because they're not very they're not difficult ideas. You don't need computers and the coding and what and the budgets. No, no, no. These things are not hard to do. You just have to want to do them. I think the second. How is has also to do with how we approach learning because the the challenge is how we transition young people into work, right? And that recognition that there's a big gap between what we are learning between industry and school, right? So the other thing that I would like to see a lot more, we are doing it, but I wish if we had a lot more professionals in classrooms. And what's the world domination plan for boundless minds? It's exciting. So we are launching, we've been testing 
uh, our digital mentorship platform like that, that's meant to one, do skilling to um, provide resources for young people to, you know, templates and stuff for young people to use if they should want, you know, templates for personal development, for professional development, for entrepreneurship development. It will also allow them to access opportunities. So if there are people that, that have scholarships, internships, uh, apprenticeship, volunteer opportunities, um, funding will have young people on there that are able to access those. Um, it will also have product, right? Creative education product that, that, that's get, meant to get um, children and young people to think differently. And why this is exciting for us is that we've sort of stepped into that space where you don't have to be in a physical space for you to learn anymore. Because if we are if we're talking about creative thinking, if we are championing creative thinking and problem solving, um, we've got to lead. Um, so we've tested the platform with about 1,300 people. This, this includes mentors who are spread around the world and mentees who are also spread around the world. So we know can work anywhere, um, regardless and on anyone's time. So the future for us is making sure that regardless of where a young person is, if they are looking for mentorship that will take them to the next level, boundless is where they are finding um, those opportunities, um, the resources, and uh, the human capital to take them to that next level. Brick and mortar. You can't do away with it. The, the, the advantage that <laughs> I'm, I'm even sorry that I'm calling this, this an advantage, but the advantage that we have is that our problems are not unique to us, right? Like um, the problems of a young person in an education system in Africa are the same. So we are. We've spent the last five years. Um, Building this as an idea, testing out things, learning, uh, building partnerships and friendships, affecting our model, and but also understanding that there are people, um, these, these problems are not unique to us. And like I said, when we tried out our digital platform, we also got, um, we have mentees from DRC and uh, South Sudan. Um, I think the, the first, um, the initial test we had guys from like Kenya and Nigeria and Malawi. So that also shows that um, there's, there's need in those countries for the services that we offer. So yes, we will be setting up um, elsewhere. Uganda will be our base, obviously, um, for the next few years. But yeah, we will be setting up in other countries. That was our CEO of the week, Benjamin Rukanje of Boundless Minds. Now, quick look at the other stories making it into the podcast. The National Bank of Angola has kept its benchmark policy rate at 20% during its regular meeting on the 31st of March 2022. The decision is aimed at maintaining prudence and stability in the conduct of monetary policy as risks and uncertainties associated with the internal and external economic context prevails despite the domestic inflation slowing amid lower food prices. 
Now, the economy of Cape Verde advanced 13.2% year-on-year in the fourth quarter of 2021, following an upwardly revised 9.4% expansion in the previous three-month period. It's the fourth consecutive quarter of growth driven by low base effects from the previous year when the pandemic shock led to an unprecedented recession amid the gradual reopening of economic activity. The main drivers of the recovery are manufacturing industries, electricity and water, accommodation and restaurants, services and public administration. On the demand side, household consumption and exports were key growth drivers. Considering the full 2021, the GDP expanded 7% year on year. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. And if you have suggestions or you want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial.